Welcome back, loyal listeners, to the Real Japan Podcast. I am one of the hosts, Kenzo. And I am Ferg. And as always, and as we do every week, we will be bringing you the latest newsworthy headlines from Japan and giving everyone our take on how we feel about them as people living here. Uh, But first, I think we'll jump right into what Ferg has been up to this past week in the mountains. Yes, sir. Well, this week, with the end of the rainy season, I finally got out and cut the grass. It was long overdue. How do you cut the grass? With one of uh, the, you know, like the sort of handheld, um, like gasoline grass cutters. Oh, really? So you have like a a proper uh, a lawnmower, as we call them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, one of the ones, not like the ones that you push, the ones that you hold in your hands. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, They're, they're the best for doing, you know, where the land is uneven. Or where oh yeah that makes sense yeah where the plants are perhaps thicker or different varieties of plants when you mm. haven't got a well-maintained lawn as nice. I do not yeah although well maintained lawn is a, is a beautiful thing <laughs> yes sir in yeah. theory at least I've never seen one near my house but I did bump into this there's a sort of pole in the garden with a kind of covering on top of it and I bumped into that pole and wasps started streaming out from underneath the covering and really? I discovered there was a wasp's nest under it. Oh no, what did you do? Did I you dropped the, the grass cutter. I Nope, I dropped the grass cutter, ran inside and I keep loads of those um, big spray cans of wasp spray. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Went back outside and showed them who's boss. Really? Sprayed Damn, them all to oblivion. Yeah, that's the like the Royal Navy or whatever, man. That's, <laughs> that's hardcore, dude. Well, dude, you can't leave these wasps' nests. That's the thing. If you think, oh, I'll deal with that later. Yeah. It just gets worse and worse. You've got to deal with it straight away. So. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I, w- I would have uh, hmm. hidden out in my house and, and called like the wasp people and uh, yeah. had them come. Yeah. Because I'm scared. You can't be terrorized by these insects, though. <laughs> so, what, this isn't the first time you've had to deal with them? No. Place? Yeah, I've had to deal with them before, yeah. Mm. Actually, when I moved in, there were loads of really huge wasp nests in the um, loft in the attic, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear they like to make nests up uh, yeah, in attic spaces. Yeah, but um, because it was winter when I moved in, I took them out and burned them in the garden. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, and then in the summer, I try and spray periodically with a wasp spray to prevent them making nests as well, not just to get rid of ones that I find. But Damn. Yeah, I was reading online. Apparently, there could be more wasps than usual this year. Wasps um, and hornets, which we have in Japan as well, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Those little bastards. Yeah, but yeah. Because... There has been a theory put forward that with people not being outside as much because of coronavirus, that people haven't really noticed the wasp nests and things. Mm. And also because of the long rainy season, they might be a little bit smaller than usual, meaning that they're difficult to spot. 
Okay, okay. But they are quite dangerous in Japan. As I said, there are hornets here as well. And every year, between sort of roughly between 10 and 20 people die from being stung by wasps in Japan. Mm-hmm. So I was reading, if you do... So you should wear white clothes and avoid black clothes if possible and strong perfume if you're going outside in somewhere where there might be wasps or hornets. Are they more attracted to darker colors? Yes, especially black. Hmm. And if you are stung, try and remove the needle if possible with pincers. Yeah. Uh, try and, or tweezers, sorry. Try and squeeze out any poison if possible and then run it under like running water as much as you can to try and wash away the poison. That's what I read is the best way to, mm-hmm. to handle that. If you get stung by a wasp or a hornet, are, do not, are wasp yeah. are wasp stings like uh, like bee stings where you know people can have allergic reactions? Yes, absolutely. Yes, oh, okay. it can be very dangerous. Yes, obviously, if you have severe symptoms, particularly like full body symptoms, they call them. So, yeah. like a racing heart, shortness of breath, uh, like full body rashes or rashes in places different from the wasp from where they actually stung you, or you feel dizzy. After yeah. about 15 minutes. So if it doesn't go away soon, then you go to a hospital. But do not try and suck out the poison because that is the sort of thing that people say you should do sometimes, but it's not a good idea. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah. And also do not take a leak on your wasp sting or have a friend take a leak on you. Apparently that is not a good idea either. Oh. Hmm. So that's just All a few... You- all of these yeah. things you see in the in the movies or in the cartoons are, are wrong. Yes, sir. Oh. Yes, sir. You want cold running water and plenty of it is what I read is the best okay, thing to get okay. rid of them. But, yeah, just a few tips there for our listeners about wasps and hornets because they can be a real pain in the backside, literally and figuratively, if you're in Japan. Yeah. Did you like that little pun there? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a good good one there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what about you? How has your week been? Have you been, I read it's been very warm or very hot in Tokyo and other areas lately with yeah, it's heat been, stroke um, alerts uh, being issued. Yeah, well, alerts. Um, yeah, yep. it's been, you know, in the mid-30s pretty mm. much every day. Mm. Um... Which I for, I forget. Uh, it's like I, I guess in uh, in freedom units that's like in the the nineties, yeah, yeah, uh, something like that. Um, mm. So yeah, it's just been pretty hot. Although it hasn't been like particularly humid. Mm. I mean, I mean, like you know, it's it's humid because it's Japan, but it's not like super humid. So mm. it hasn't really been all that uncomfortable. Yeah, and that makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So at least you know, at least we got that. Um, but yeah, I guess as far as what I have been doing, um, mm. yeah, not a whole lot. I don't think I. I think I went out once, mm. and that was to go pick up. <laughs> it's car related again, but uh, yeah, to to go because I, I dropped the car off at the uh, at the mechanic mm. about. 10 days ago and it, mm. it's done so i went and picked it up yeah but that's uh 
That's about it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, I wish I had something more interesting, but... Well, it's good to hear that you're coping okay in the heat. Yeah, doing okay, although I feel like the air conditioner might be uh, might be on its way out, or it might need a good cleaning. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, it's not... Like, I have to crank it up rather high for it to start, mm. you know, having a decent effect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... You've got to be careful. Happened. The heat can be a killer, too. I read that somewhere between 60 and 70 people have been taken to hospital, or were taken to hospital with symptoms of heat stroke i think that was on sunday i can't remember the exact day but many people you know yeah and and the um the whole the, the whole mask thing is just exacerbating the situation because, yeah exactly uh, exactly yeah when i went out to you know this past week to mm. go to the the mechanic mm. uh i was wearing my mask mm. And yeah, like being having a mask on in this hot weather is that's rough, man. Like it's it really gets to you. Yes, sir. Tell me about yeah. it. So, but yeah, you're right. Even in normal years, it's mm. a rather common news story that you know people. Uh, either you know get very very ill or uh, you know pass away from uh, from the heat. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. One. Uh, yeah. I I read an article that was uh, was kind of talking about this same issue and and it was saying how uh, this year might be particularly bad. Um, not necessarily because of the heat, because the heat you know is bad every year, but the. Uh, I don't know if it's a lot of people, but a significant number of people don't, you know, either don't want to use their air conditioner at home because, you know, electricity is rather expensive over here or, you know, maybe their air conditioner broke um, or maybe they just don't have one, you know. Um, And so what they'll do is during the summer months, they'll they'll go to like the mall or Mm. the grocery store during the hottest hours. Yeah. So they can cool down. Um, but since you're not really supposed to go out, you know, people aren't really going out as much this year that, um, yeah, people will be staying home more. Mm. And if their homes aren't appropriately cooled, then, yeah, they might be in for a bad time. So... Yeah, I mean, hopefully we won't see that kind of spike, but it's a, it's a possibility for sure. Yes, sir. We don't want any more pressure on the medical system, do we, at this time? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. as we have mentioned many times before, the type of construction you see here in Japan does not contribute positively to, you know, heat stroke. The houses are generally shoddily built, so yeah, yeah. they get very shoddily warm built, very quickly. No... No insulation to speak of, really. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, yeah. Shall we move on to our coronavirus roundup? Yep, yeah, let's do it. So there were 840 new cases of coronavirus in the past 24 hours, or the 24 hours leading up to the 10th of August. That was Monday. 
the figures are generally one day delayed as we record. And within that, some of them will be a few days even prior to that. Yeah. Uh, depending on the different prefecture, etc. The total is now 49,823 cases when I checked it this morning. And there were an additional five deaths for a total of 1,055 deaths over the past 24 hours. So we're almost at that 50,000 mark already. You were just talking last week about how it's so quick since we hit 40,000. Yeah, yeah, it's been been ramping up. Yes, sir. Having said that, this is the first time in a week that the number of new cases has been below 1,000. And in addition, the most recent number for Tokyo, as we record, was 197 new cases. And this is the first time the number has been below 200 new cases since around late July. That yeah, so maybe we're going in the right direction or or not, you know, you can't That's the thing with these numbers mm. is you can't really tell just by looking at it like on a day-to-day, you know. You got you got to look exactly. at the, the the averages over uh at least a couple days to you know really get an accurate picture. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the as we've talked about on this podcast before, the num the way Tokyo report the cases is generally about three days delayed. Yeah. So yeah. the number that I just mentioned is probably from around the seventh of July when there were three thousand two hundred and forty three tests carried out, which is significantly mm. lower than the number that have been carried out. Prior to that, there were oh, more than 5,000 yeah. in the days leading up to that. So, as we've mentioned before, there are issues with just looking at like the positive rate or the number of tests and trying to work out what that means about the state of the infection. But perhaps it does indicate that that might be one factor why the number of cases is slightly lower. Yeah, and mm. it might even have a negative effect if you think about it because people might see that on the news and be like oh okay we're we're doing all right and so they'll they'll start maybe being a bit more lax in their in their preventative measures and then it you know it creates the opposite effect where it makes the numbers go back up again exactly exactly yeah. there is probably one theme that we will see in Japan over the next couple of weeks in the coverage of the coronavirus will be the impact of the Obon holiday on the spread oh, of the virus. yeah, that's a big one. Yes, sir. So for listeners that aren't familiar with the Obon holiday, it's a week or so holiday in Japan when people tend to take time off work. Some companies just close completely for that week and people would traditionally go travel back to see their family, their family's homes, usually in the in the sort of provinces. Yeah, and go visit their dead relatives. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, Pay their respects yeah. at their family's graves. So who knows, really? I mean, what kind of effect that will have? It's unclear at the moment whether people will be refraining from traveling to see their families or whether they, you know, will still go ahead and take the holiday. There is also an issue that many clinics and things might be closed 
So right, you would expect right. to see lower numbers of tests, people perhaps putting off getting themselves tested until they come back from their holidays. Or, or perhaps, not getting tested at all and just spreading it around. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting as well the impact that the coronavirus is going to have on tourist hotspots, you know, in and around Tokyo in particular and also in the rest of Japan. I was watching a news report earlier that had footage of various different places and mm. some of them very crowded indeed there was this toshimaen pool in tokyo and it was kind of like people were crammed in 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 the pool certainly not social distancing at all it looked like. <laughs> yeah i can absolutely understand that people want to cool off in the summer months however but it will be interesting to see what effect that has on the number of new cases when we exit the Obon period next week. Yeah. Um, my, my impression is mm. that a lot of people are at least more, more than maybe like a month ago. Uh, people are just like, fuck it, man. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sick of staying at home. This, this is bullshit. I'm just going to do whatever. And, you know, go out to the pool or, you know, go, go visit the relatives back home. So yeah, hopefully that won't lead to this massive spike. Exactly. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, we won't, we won't really know until after the, uh, after the numbers come out mm. and, and, and the thing with the Obon holiday is different people like, 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 like Ferg said, like some companies are just straight up closed for like a week. Um, but other companies might not have a, a proper, you know, period for that. So different people will take time off at different times. So it'll be kind of staggered. So I don't think we'll we'll really know uh, exactly what went down until maybe almost the end of the month, where where everyone's kind of back, mm. uh, back home, back at work. Yeah, certainly. Probably we're going to have strange numbers up and down a bit perhaps this next week. And then after that, we'll mm -hmm. start, as you said, as we head into the end of August, we will start to see some of the impact of Obon yeah, on the numbers. Yeah, yeah, our, um, uh, yeah, our boys in Iwate, mm. yeah, they, got their, they got their first cases too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, eh? Nowhere yeah. is safe. No, yeah, it's it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Also, another interesting news story this past week. So on August the 6th, an expert panel kind of laid out a system for assessing the level of risk divided into four stages. And according to the panel, or the chairman of the panel, sorry, the level four, the highest level of risk, would be... Mm -hmm when they expect the government to declare a state of emergency. This, and they will measure the level of risk and assess whether what stage we are at based on six indicators. There's four different stages of risk and they will use six indicators to measure what mm -hmm, stage mm -hmm. we are at. And uh, the Prime Minister Shinzo Abe said at a press conference that you know, the national government and local governments can use these indicators for making decisions. So it's not like a hard and fast thing if it's at this level, the government or the local government has to take this action. It's more a, yeah. 
an indicator, you know, a, a sort of factor for them to consider. He was asked whether Japan would consider another state of emergency based on these indicators, but he didn't give a clear answer. It seems like the government is very negative now towards declaring another state of emergency is the impression I get. It feels to me like they really want to get the economy kick-started again, and that is probably a big worry, especially for a country as indebted as Japan. Yeah, yeah. And just quickly, we're not going to go into all the numbers, but the six indicators are the amount of hospital beds available, the number of active cases per 100,000 people in the area, the positive rate or the rate of positive uh, PCR tests, the number of new cases per 100,000 people per week, the comparison of this week versus the previous week. Uh, so okay. if the number of new cases is increasing, etc., and the proportion of people for whom the route of infection is not known. Okay. And according to the report I saw, for the Tokyo area, most of those indicators are on around the stage three or stage four level at the moment. Right. So, I mean, these indicators are somewhat arbitrary, but it's what the expert panel has come up with. They, they are the experts. We have to trust their judgment, and they're saying we're at a pretty serious stage of infection maybe somewhere between stage three and four. Yeah. Um, the mm. <clears throat> the cynic in me, mm. I I kind of look at that and I, I see... So they have, what was it, six different indicators? Yep, exactly. Yep. Right? And I, the way I see it, if you have six indicators, mm. I think you're always going to be able to find some way to say, well... Five of them might be bad, but the mm. sixth one here, like, we're still okay, so we don't have to do anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the more indicators you have, then the more wiggle room you have to make up reasons why you don't have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what it's starting to feel like. Yeah. And and as we've learned in over the past month or two, you know, even... If they have, because they had indicators before, mm. at, le at least for Tokyo. And yeah, even if all the indicators get uh, exceeded, that they, they, you know, it's not like a, you know, they don't have to do anything, right? You know, mm. they, they, it's just a guideline. So yeah, I think no matter what, like, un unless it's just explosive growth in new cases like they're they're gonna find a reason not to act yeah exactly i yeah. mean also i'm not perhaps that cynical i don't believe there's any kind of big conspiracy or anything however if we look at the indicators that they're using these can be quite easily you know perhaps someone who was really cynical might say that the government could easily manipulate them so for example yeah, if you yeah. look at like the amount of hospital beds available well that's they can just add more hospital beds if they don't want to it to hit stage four yeah that's true yeah yeah you know if we look at like for example the number of new cases they can just control the amount of tests which would result in a lower number of cases 
Mm-hmm. And if we look at mm-hmm. the proportion of people for whom the root of infection is not known, they can focus their testing on clusters. And that way it will appear as though a higher percentage of the people being tested, but that we know how they became infected. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Perhaps some, some cynics will point to that. As I said, my personal view is I don't think there's that, that sort of conspiracy. Although I do think that the government is more leaning now towards, you know, looking at the economic um, backlash from coronavirus and, and considering that the effect that measures against the virus will have on the economy. Yeah, I would. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a rather cynical person. Mm. Uh, yeah, and you're and you're right. I don't think it goes that far, but mm. I, I I do think that behind closed doors, the politicians. All, all they care about at this point is the, the economics. Like they yeah. don't really care all that much about the human toll. I don't think. It seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just finally, so I read an interesting article on August ninth. A group of people from a kind of anti-mask group held a demonstration in Tokyo in Shibuya. They held wow, up I didn't signs. Know, I didn't know those groups existed in Japan. No, sir. I was yeah. quite surprised to see that. Don't want to blow it out of proportion because it did appear that this was perhaps only a few dozen people from the article okay, I read. Okay. But yeah, they were holding up signs saying the three C's, you know, basically don't stay in close contact with other people, but are not necessary. Say no to masks and no to social distancing. And... The previous day, the same group got on the Yamanote line with no masks. Wow. Wearing t-shirts saying something along the lines of, and this is my rough translation, wake up, coronavirus is fake. The news is fake. <laughs> coronavirus is actually 5G. No. It's <laughs> yeah. very surprised that those people seem to have hit these shores as well. Wow. Yeah, I thought I thought that was a strictly uh, Western yeah yeah viewpoint, but mm. uh, wow, okay. Mm. So maybe watch out for those those people. Yeah, and watch out for those five uh, G towers, man. Yes, sir. They're they're coming for you. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> well, I was very surprised though that there would be public opposition to masks in that way in Japan because masks are deeply ingrained in Japanese culture anyway. It's absolutely normal to wear a mask, you know, even if you don't have a cold or anything, if you just feel like it. You know, uh, especially for for women. Exactly. Uh, A lot of of women I've talked to, like, Mm. they, uh, yeah, if they just don't feel like putting on any makeup that day, they'll wear a mask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. Well, um, I guess we'll move along to the news item. Yes, sir. The one, uh, I'll go, I'll go first. The one I got is, Mm. uh, so a bit of background for, for those that aren't aware, uh, this past week marked the 75th. I feel weird calling it an anniversary because it's not really like a, Mm. there's like a positive connotation with anniversary, but yeah. uh, well, basically, it's been 75 years since the uh, the atomic bombs were dropped mm. on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And 
also by extension 75 years since the end of the the war in the pacific mm. so there's, you know, it's, that's a pretty uh significant uh landmark i guess 75 years right um so yes certainly. there's been a fair amount of press coverage and just uh, articles reflecting on on that period in history and and so as prime ministers do uh, Prime Minister Abe made a speech uh, both at Hiroshima and Nagasaki and uh, you know it was one of those standard political you know speeches talking about the horrors of war and uh, we can't do this again mm-hmm. that kind of thing but the uh, the interesting part and I don't I don't want to make humor of the situation but his uh, his speech was identical at both Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which uh, it was a, just a straight up copy paste. The, the only difference between the two speeches was he replaced the word Hiroshima with Nagasaki when he made the one in Nagasaki. Yeah, and I I just thought that uh, you know it's it's sad and a bit uh mm. <laughs> yeah it doesn't definitely doesn't leave a good taste uh, in the mouth. For sure. No, sir. I mean, I'm sure yeah. he had a speechwriter write them for him anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So Why he, they couldn't couldn't even, just he couldn't even be bothered to uh, even mix it up slightly, you know, to yeah. at least make it look like he tried. Like he didn't even try in this case. He just straight up same speech. Oh, and, damn. Yeah, people were uh, understandably not too pleased with uh, mm. with that and. Yeah, if you, I don't. It's hard to imagine what he was thinking. Like, did he really think people wouldn't notice? You know? Or, yeah, and it's such a sensitive topic, isn't it? Mm-hmm, yeah, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, lost their lives and mm. uh, can't even be bothered to write two speeches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's really not much more to that story other than that but i just thought it was uh, it was worth mentioning because um yeah yeah i wonder this is just me purely speculating but i wonder if perhaps you know abe the right wing faction of his party to which abe belongs mm. is well known for taking a more sort of hawkish security stance i guess yeah. it would be yeah you know most notably pushing forward um, you know, amendments to the constitution such that collective self-defense, as it's called, is is allowed. Despite yeah, yeah, basically to allow the Japanese military to be uh, more proactive in their uh, international sending troops here and there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, if you look at most of the rhetoric around sort of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, sort of remembering the the bombings and the victims of the atomic bombs is mm. centered on sort of, you know, peace and world yeah. peace and mm. collective nuclear disarmament and those kind of topics. Right. Right. Um, you know, despite it remembering sort of Japanese victims of the war, it's not really, uh, nationalistic at all in its flavor. Is it that generally the rhetoric surrounding that? And yeah, true. True. I wonder if, you know, again, this is just me speculating, but I wonder if it was, maybe Abe would not want to or was not really in a position to 
speak very positively about you know sort of peace and and world peace given his own parties and in particular his faction sort of moves towards a tougher security stance yeah it could be uh, certainly mm -hmm. that might be one of the root causes of him not caring enough to you know even bother to keep up appearances mm. right i mean he it was just, you know it was more or less a slap in the face to, to both of those cities that he doesn't care enough to even write two different speeches. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it could be an, an underhanded kind of uh, low-key way of showing his lack of concern for, mm. for these, uh, you know, these types of peace messages. Mm. Yeah, it could be. It could be, yeah. Yeah. It's quite a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, be because like you, you gotta think it's 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 just so weird, like mm. that. Yeah, he made the same speech. Mm. Like I, I just can't get my head around it. Like, yeah, a, a, like anyone could tell you that that's like people like a people are gonna notice, and b yeah. is not a good idea. But he went ahead and did it, so it almost forces you to think that it was a conscious decision to do so. Mm. There were reports around last week that he was in quite poor health. Um, oh, yeah, he was uh, vomiting blood in the office or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so the report said, I mean, he yeah. was in... Although it's just a rumor, but... It was just a rumor, yeah. He yeah. stepped down from his first term as prime minister back in the 2000s because of his ill health. I wonder if perhaps yep. that was something yep. to do with it, if his it advisors yeah. knew that he was feeling tired, so to speak, and decided to ease his burden by just giving him one speech to... Yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely a possibility, yeah. Mm, still I mean, seems yeah, like, a bit much. Yeah, I mean, we'll never know, you know the the real reason why mm. it turned out as it did but mm. it's it's definitely uh yeah it's a possibility yeah yeah oh well we'll have to see how uh how he focuses on this issue in future i yeah, doubt he'll apologize yeah. but oh yeah mm. when when pigs fly we'll see that <laughs> yes sir yeah. But who knows? Maybe he will make some other gesture or something. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Mm. But yeah, that about wraps it up for me. So. All right. So the next story I want to talk about is about uh, issues that many places are having with excess soil from construction in Japan. Now, when companies sort of build the foundations of buildings particularly large buildings or if they build new roads or new uh, train lines in particular bullet train lines that involve yeah. tunneling through mountains it creates a lot of excess soil and yeah, it's got to go somewhere this story is about what they do with that excess soil and the shady lengths that some oh, okay. companies will go to so the story starts in uh, Yatomi City in Aichi near Nagoya Okay. And just picture the scene. This is a kind of typical Japanese suburban type area. You have rice mm. fields 
and scattered among the rice fields you have like warehouses uh, houses normal houses you know i'm sure anyone who has lived in japan particularly in a provincial city can imagine the kind of area yeah yeah and a couple living in this area a man who was 62 and a woman who's 58 owned land that was formerly used for a goldfish farm so there was like a kind of small lake or a small pond on this on this land with a depth okay in the article it said kind of tens of centimeters so less less than a meter deep mm. and one day in may 2017 a man visited the couple's house and handed the woman a business card that said uh, he was involved in land building planning and development and no, this, this can't be good <laughs> no, <sir. laughs> these stories never end well yes sir. a strange man turns up and offers <laughs> something that sounds too good to be true yeah. beware if that happens and in this case the man offered to provide soil to fill in this old sort of uh, pond on their land and turn it into farmable land like a rice field yeah, that sounds sounds like a good offer Yes, sir. And according to the man, this would be excess soil from the construction of the new linear uh, bullet train line, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is a new line that's being planned, the ultra-fast kind of maglev line, from first from Shinagawa in Tokyo to Nagoya, and then eventually yeah. to Shin Osaka as well. It was originally expected to be completed in 2027, but delays have pushed that back. Sorry, the Shinagawa yeah. to Nagoya stage was expected to be completed in 2027. But right, right. Anyway, this is relevant because apparently, so it would be good soil from the mountains, you know, where this train line is passing through. Yeah, good fertile soil. Good fertile soil, yes, mm. exactly. And this kind man offered to submit all the planning sort of forms to the city on their behalf. And they just had to sign a form that said approval for uh, acceptance of excess soil from construction or something like that. That's my okay, rough well, translation. Sounds, uh, okay. so sounds like a win-win at this point. And yes, sir, which they did in August. And under the terms of their agreement, these, their kind of uh, pond on their land would be filled in until the level was about 30 centimeters lower than that of the adjacent road so like typical like yeah. rice paddy level right right and then soon after that um a man from a construction company turned up with a dumper truck dumper truck and started offloading soil and this continued for many many days through many late days. september and by the start of October 2017, they had reached that level that I mentioned. So they were now at 30 centimeters lower than the adjacent road. All right, so now they're, they're, they're good. Now they're good. But the construction yeah. company is not good. They're, they're still oh. going. Trucks just kept on coming. They wouldn't <laughs> stop. They had trucks okay. coming from all over three different prefectures of uh, Gifu, Aichi, and Mie which is all, yeah. they're all kind of central Japan area. Mm -hmm, right. But the fact that they were coming from all over the place in many different areas 
seems to indicate that this soil was not coming from deep in the mountains, somewhere where the new bullet line, bullet train line was being constructed. Mm-hmm. And indeed, it appeared there were bits of concrete in, in the soil. Oh, really? So yes. not exactly uh, fertile soil. No, sir, not at yeah. all. And later on, they found out this soil was coming down from subcontractors and sub-subcontractors passed through them mm-hmm. from major construction projects by, you know, real big sort of um, top construction companies. They call them the Zenicon in, in Japanese, like general construction yeah. companies. And it included, interestingly enough, the new uh, city hall in Yatomi, the city where they lived. So basically it was coming from all over, not just from deep in the mountains. So basically anyone and everyone's dumping their shit on their land. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So obviously the husband and wife asked, you know, what are you doing? This, yeah. Uh, obviously this has gone too far. <laughs> yeah. But the men said, the men who were, dumping the land said well this is soft soil so it's going to kind of sink down okay 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 and they (laughs) they used like a digger to kind of flatten it down and just kept piling it up higher and higher yeah now obviously this is going way above the level it's supposed to now (laughs) yeah the husband and the wife asked asked them to stop many times but they wouldn't stop they just kept bringing the land they told the husband and the wife that they were they were only temporarily storing the soil there and they oh, were going okay. to they were going to move it in January and then January rolled around and then they said they'd move it in February yeah and you know still nothing was happening the family tried or the husband and wife they tried parking their own car on the road to block the trucks coming and dumping the land there Mm, yeah 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 but they were sort of shouted at and told that if they obstructed it then the trucks couldn't come to take away the land later ah Mm, they're crafty (laughs) yes sir yeah the husband and wife kind of at a loss they called the police and they also although just mm. just quickly that Yep. That kind of doesn't make sense if you think about it, because yeah. if they're there to remove it, then sure, they'll move the car. <laughs> yeah. Right? But they come here with this truck full of dirt. And exactly. Say, well, exactly. you got to move it so we can take the dirt away. It kinda exactly. Exactly. The argument exactly. doesn't really hold up. Yeah. Well, I think they might have been arguing as well that they wouldn't come and remove it in future. Oh, okay, okay. But anyway, the husband and wife did eventually call the police and the municipal government of their city in Yatomi mm-hmm. City in Aichi. The municipal government ended up speaking to the company and sort of told them, you know, this is unacceptable. Yeah, knock it off. Yeah, they showed them the agreement and they said, this is, you've gone way over what it said in the agreement. Oh, so the agreement, it, it did mm-hmm. say in writing that at what level they would stop bringing dirt. I believe so, yes. Okay, okay. Um, I don't think it's stated clearly in the article, but I uh, believe it said in the agreement, certainly, that they would turn it into, like, a rice field. And Mm -hmm. the municipal government said that, yeah, it didn't. Obviously, they had 
broken that agreement. But basically, the company just didn't listen. And, you know, neighbors and things began to get worried and were complaining to the couple a lot. Obviously, this is a big worry because if it's really rainy, it could cause a kind of landslide at this point. Yeah, it's getting yeah. so high. They ended up with a, a little mountain about 10 meters high. Wow. Yes. Approximately 5,100 square meters in area and contained over 20,000 cubic meters of soil. Wow. That's like, what, three three stories high, right? 10 exactly. About? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Damn. That's yeah, a lot exactly. Of dirt. Yes, sir. Uh, the wife of the couple went and got an estimate for how much it would cost them to get this mini mountain removed. Yeah. And how much would how much would you say for a little small mountain? Say that you've got the size of a three-story small apartment block oh, on your land boy. out of dirt and uh, a million yen maybe? A million yen. No. 77.6 million yen. Whoa. That's how much it would cost to get rid of it. Really? That's about, yeah, about 77, uh, 770,000 US dollars, roughly speaking. Wow. Then. That, that blows my mind that it costs that much to remove dirt. Yes, sir, certainly. Yeah. Which then I guess goes to show, you know, why it's uh, it's economically, it makes sense for these people to skirt the law because if it costs that much, then they're making a killing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. In fact, we'll get on to just a little note at the end related to that, but uh, anyway... So in June 2018, so this has been going on for almost a year, 10 months or so, mm -hmm. 9 or 10 months. The One day, the dumper trucks just stopped coming and the digger disappeared off their land. And then they're left with this mini mountain. And of course, the company did not remove the dirt. They had not been temporarily storing it there. Yeah. And the couple was left with this mini mountain, perhaps unsafe, and no realistic way of removing it without paying a huge amount of money. So, so I guess that these companies are banking on the fact mm. that the people they're screwing over aren't going to come and sue them, right? I mean, I guess that's well, essentially... The, they did sue them. Oh, okay, okay. So in May 2019, the couple, they sued the this company that had been dumping yeah. the soil there. And they filed the suit in Yokoichi City in Mie Prefecture, the nearby prefecture, mm. to near where they lived in Aichi. And as information came to light in the course of that civil suit, they found that the company had done similar things, or the same thing basically, in multiple places in Gifu and Mie Prefectures. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they, for better or for worse, they knew what they were doing, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, of course, as you would expect, the court found in the family's favor, in the husband yeah. and wife's favor, and they ordered the company to remove the land, or the, sorry, remove the excess soil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to pay 1.1 million yen to the family. It's about 11,000 US dollars. Yeah, it's, and this has come up before in mm. this podcast, but 
Like the the damages awarded in civil cases in this country is mm. just I feel it's like I feel it's insulting to to the people that have had their lives turned upside down. You know, I mean, yeah, go through exactly. all this, and the ruling says, oh, I mean, they get their dirt removed. I mean, as far as the ruling is, mm. but the damages, I mean, like ten thousand bucks for all that. Exactly. You know, I mean, I don't even I don't even know if that could cover the legal costs. Exactly. It'd be unbelievable yeah. levels of stress, I'm sure. Yeah, it's just, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, the U.S., I think, is a bit excessive in mm. awarding, like, crazy amounts of damages. But yeah. then I think Japan is, like, on the other end of the extreme, where it's just, like, you go through all this trouble. And, yeah, like, the stress and all that. And you, you're you essentially given, like, a, a very small amount of, of restitution for your trouble and yeah it's just it's ridiculous yeah yeah it is yeah exactly i think japan almost goes to the other extreme as you said yeah so okay so yeah they get the ruling in their favor they get the ruling in their favor now i'm not sure whether they were ever paid that that money even though it wasn't you know a huge amount but certainly the soil was not taken away oh really they were just like, eh, yeah. not going to do it. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's kind of like one of these unenforceable things. The company or, you know, a, a man from the company, I assume he was like the representative of the company, mm-hmm. lived in the nearby Kuana city. And uh, a reporter um, from the article that I read uh, visited him at his home okay and the man so he kind of apologized and said to the reporter he was looking for a place to move the soil and he intended to move it when he found a site but he had not found a site uh-huh you know who knows whether that's true and <laughs> yeah probably not true when explaining how it became like that you know he said that his clients were asking him to take it away and he found it difficult to refuse and while he was looking for other places it kind of ended up in that situation uh-huh right i mean certainly when there's a kind of customer and service provider relationship in japan you do often get this strong imbalance of power that yeah 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 you know a kind of almost bullying one directional um, sort of feedback or, or way that directions are issued in Japan, which I feel is a little bit of an issue, but certainly it seems. It yeah, is. Mm. yeah, it's one of those situations where there will be like a really big company mm. subcon or subcontracting their work to a a very small firm, mm. and yeah, the big company will, will like the underlying message as well. If like we're asking you to do something that is questionable mm. but if you don't do it then we'll just find someone who does exactly and yeah essentially forcing their hand really exactly exactly well and i think as well they contacted um one or perhaps more of the general construction companies the large companies involved in this case mm. and they basically mm. just said well they don't know where the land was that was you know they subcontracted it and then the subcontractors subcontracted it again 
which is a huge issue and a way of them kind of offloading the responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, this is a kind of difficult issue anyway because excess soil kind of is falls into a grey legal area because it's not exactly covered by industrial waste laws because it's just soil. Unless it's radioactive. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a little bit difficult to crack down on. But mm. it seems, from what I've read, that this issue of excess and what to do with excess land from construction sites is actually a bit of an issue in Japan. And there have been many cases, you know, in I read about some in Osaka and Ibaraki as well. Similar issues of companies just coming and dumping excess soil, you know, without permission or wow. sort of after tricking the local residents. Mm-hmm. And as a result of this, many of many local governments are coming up with their own ordinances to try and combat the issue. About yeah. half of half of the different prefectures, twenty five prefectures, have come up with local ordinances to try and combat this issue. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it is an issue what to do with the amount of with the excess soil because apparently there's just not enough places where it can be safely disposed of. Yeah. Uh, mm. Why don't they just dump it in the ocean, man? Well, they could do, couldn't they? They could. They could use it for landfill and build out. Yeah, somewhere. yeah. For yeah, to to make. And I'm not saying that like dump mm. it in the ocean to you know litter, but like <laughs> yeah, you know, in the sense that you can make more land. Exactly. Yes. Right? Couldn't you? Yes. Yeah, sorry, I said landfill. I meant uh, reclaim land. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because that's some. Uh, mm. Here's a. Fun fact, uh, anyone who's been to Japan might have used uh, Haneda Airport. And yeah, that whole area around there used to be ocean, but they uh, they built it up and made more land because they, there were, they didn't have enough land in Tokyo to make an airport, so they made some. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would certainly seem to be a more sensible option. Well, yeah. what, what do you think about this option? Okay. So this is in Sagamihara, Kanagawa, and it perhaps, it's not exactly clear, but it perhaps also relates to excess soil from the construction of the linear uh, bullet train line. Mm. And a company called Sator Farm has put forward a plan to use 1 million cubic meters of excess soil, like I said, probably from the construction of the linear yeah. uh, bullet train line to build Tsukui Ranch, a kind of dairy farm. Hmm. And they will build it basically on the side of a mountain. So imagine you've got the steep side of the mountain and they will pile up the land there to make a flat surface. Okay. Yeah, and just to give you an idea of the scale, remember previously when I said there was that 10 meter high mountain in the main Hmm. part of this story, that was over 20,000 meters, cubic meters of soil. So this is over okay. 1 million cubic meters of soil. So it's huge. Mm, Absolutely yeah. gigantic. And if you think about it, the reason for this is because it's difficult to get nice, a big, nice, flat piece of land. Whereas the land like on a mountain that's very steep and basically unusual is very cheap. Which yeah, is why yeah. the, the Sato Farm Company has come up with this idea of building this farm. 
But it's caused a huge amount of friction with local residents because imagine you have a very steep slope and then you make it flat, a flat surface poking out. If you imagine kind of the end of the flat surface. Yeah, you've got a huge cliff. You've got a huge cliff, exactly, yeah. So it could be up to 80 meters high, this the oh, cliff wow. part of it, which, you know, could be terrifying for local residents if there's a, if that ends up causing a landslide. Yeah, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Is It feels like you're just asking for a landslide doing something like that. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it seems so outlandish, this idea of building. Like I said, even though the reason is because the land is cheap on the mountain, it still seems strange to actually choose to have, to choose like a steep mountain to build a dairy farm on and then build it using this, re- this excess soil. Like mm. that, you'd think, you know, even if there was the initial cost to find this nice flat land, it would be still be much safer and much less work to construct it. But there has been a suggestion, and this is related to what you said about the money involved. Yeah. There has been a suggestion that this whole Sato Farm or Skui Ranch project is perhaps just a scheme to make money from taking away the excess soil. So... The, well, it's, it seems to me hmm. that like you mentioned um hmm. mountainous land is dirt cheap yep no no pun intended and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it like on paper hmm. right like theoretically it seems like you can make a killing because you yeah. essentially get land for next to nothing hmm. and then you flatten it out which you know raises probably exponentially raises the you know, the value of the land if it's yeah. flat. Yep. And you get all this money from taking dirt off of people's hands. Yep. So, you know, in theory, it, it seems like you can make a lot of money doing that. Like, if, yep. if, if it works. Well, in this case, so apparently, and I think this was at, because... They have to give um, information meetings to local residents. Mm -hmm. And I think at one of these meetings, it came out that in the Sato Farm case, they would get about 15,000 yen from each 10-ton truck of soil or dirt. So in the article, they worked out that for the million uh, cubic meters of excess soil that I mentioned earlier, that would be about 250,000 trucks worth of soil which at at the 15,000 yen rate works out to roughly 4 billion yen or 40 million US dollars roughly wow so there has been some suggestion that perhaps this screwy ranch thing is all just a scheme that they're going to dump all this excess soil there and then they're going to say actually you know what we've given up (laughs) on the ranch yeah maybe we're not going to do the ranch yeah exactly but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, what what if we bought a whole load of, you know, dirt cheap land in mountains and said to construction companies, yeah, you can dump your soil here. You just yeah, it, it seems money. to me that, so, it, you know, in this case w- mm. with the, the, the whole ranch scheme, mm. Mm. Um, you know, the, the problem was, and as it should be, was that the local residents are going to get the short end of the stick. 
exactly yeah on that but but yeah yeah, yeah what if you just bought some land like real like out in the middle of nowhere yeah yeah you know we're no, like no with no people around and just made it a dirt dumping site yeah yeah like what's to stop someone from doing that and yeah. making a lot of money exactly right yeah yeah i don't know especially if 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 like you said like the the laws around um because it's not industrial waste yeah so you know if i have a bunch of land and i want to dump dirt on it it's pretty much just my my decision to make right so exactly yeah unless you live in one of the 25 prefectures where they have introduced mm, yeah 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 local ordinances but yeah if you're mm. outside of there i mean presumably it seems that there's nothing they can do to stop you yeah hmm especially maybe, maybe mm. i'll become a dirt tycoon <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. Well, I mean, basically, it seems like if you did buy land just out in the middle of, really in the middle of nowhere where there's no local residents or anyone to worry about. I mean, I'm sure the reality is that it's much harder to find such suitable land than than we think. But just in theory, if you found it, it would just be, once you sign the contract, you're good to go. You don't have to have any input. You just leave them. They just turn up every day and dump their dirt. (laughs) And you're sitting in your nice air-conditioned apartment. Yeah, just watching the money roll in. Watching the money roll in. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, uh, so with, uh, I guess, that's a, a the business tip for this week from the Real Japan. <laughs> Maybe we've taken away the wrong message from this. <laughs> hey, we- man, we're entrepreneurs. <laughs> we... We heard about this story, and our opinion was hmm, maybe we should get involved in that business. Yeah, yeah, maybe we should, yeah, be uh, be dirt dealers. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, real Japan listeners, if any strange men come to your home offering to give you dirt for free, be very, very careful. Yeah, and if you get rich from doing this, we expect a cut. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. All right. Uh, okay, I guess that about wraps it up for that one. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, all right. We've been going on right about an hour. So I think uh, we'll uh, we'll call it right about here. Uh, thanks for sticking around. And as always, if you um, are interested in our banter, you can uh, follow us on our socials. Our username on both Twitter and Instagram is Real Japan Guys, or you can find our website at thereal.jp and email us at mail at thereal.jp. And find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So, with uh, that being said, I guess we will see y'all again next week. Goodbye, listeners. Bye-bye.